and uh, take our Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. And uh, we want to talk about taking the stink out of a smelly life this morning. Um, uh, I say that because uh, we'll start out with a, a baseball story. Uh, how many of you remember Mickey Mantle? Oh, most of the older folks do. Uh, Mickey Mantle was uh, a well-known uh, ball player during the 1950s, especially uh, for the New York Yankees. And uh, he struck out one day three times in a row. Uh, he was very depressed. And uh, he said, when I got back to the clubhouse, I sat down on the stool and I held, held my hand in, uh, head in my hands as if I was going to sleep. And I heard someone come up to me, and it was little Tommy Barra, uh, Yogi Barra's boy, who came up and uh, tapped him on the shoulder. And he said, uh, well, he said, you know, first of all, M- Mickey Mantle said, I thought he'd probably say something like, hang in there or you're, you're going to be all right. But uh, all he did was look at him and say, uh, little kid's voice, he said, you stink. <laughs> he struck out three times that day. And he said, little boy really nailed it on the head there. He said, you stink. Well, as we look into this uh, chapter, we find Moses and Israel suffering from a bout of uh, stinking thinking. Uh, It was just life was stinking for Moses. Things were not going well. He was discouraged. He was uh, depressed. He was in despair. And I think we can learn to take the stink out of a smelly life if we uh, uh, learn some lessons even here from Moses. I uh, think of another illustration of uh, discouragement, and it's found in a small monument made from a few stones that marks a spot on Mount Washington where a young girl died on a bitterly cold night, and yet her death was something that did not have to occur. It seems that she and her father had decided to climb that great mountain without a hiring, without hiring a guide. And as darkness uh, set in and, and the biting cold uh, sapped the strength, uh, last of their strength, they became discouraged. Uh, they uh, sat down on the trail, and during the night, the girl died from exposure and heart failure due to the cold. And when the morning light had dawned on the wind-ravaged mountainside, her distraught father soon discovered that they had walked just, if they had just walked a few more feet, they would have seen the lights of a place called Tip Top House. A place where there would have been a crackling fire, would have warmed their bodies. A place where they would have been safe and protected from the cold and from the icy fingers of death. Now what prevented them from reaching the place of safety? It was discouragement. They sat down in discouragement and they did not reach the place of safety. So here in our text, and we're still in chapter 11, and uh, uh, we see discouragement in the life of one of the greatest men who ever walked on this planet. It's the, a man by the name of Moses. Uh, Moses climbed the mountain of leading uh, God's people. He became discouraged because of the burdens he had been called upon to bear. And as a result, he came to a place where he just wanted to throw in the towel, so to speak, and quit. And as a result, he just wanted to give up. Ever been there? Maybe you're there today. 
Well, this passage, I believe, gives us some insights into why this event occurred in the life of Moses. Hopefully, it also teaches us some truths we need when we fight the battle of discouragement day by day. I want you to notice, first of all, the problems Moses pondered. The problems that Moses pondered. Uh, discouragement faced by Moses uh, had its roots and all the burdens uh, he was trying to bear uh, as he was leading the children of Israel into Canaan. And those problems added up. He allowed himself to become discouraged in the midst of the journey. Uh, it may help us to look at what Moses was dealing with. So we want to go back to the beginning of this chapter for a moment here and be reminded of what brought on the discouragement for Moses. First of all, the problems Moses pondered is that Moses faced a people problem. You go back to verses 1 through 3, and it says, When the people complained. Uh, In verse 2, when the people cried. The children of Israel were nothing but complainers. They were never satisfied by anything. After a while, this could have driven anyone over the edge. Now, I... I want you to notice and realize that we all have people problems from time to time. Anytime there's a relationship between two people, there's always going to be a potential for a problem. As one writer said, to live above with the saints we love, oh, won't that be glory? But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. And let me encourage you this morning in this matter of dealing with others. There's a three-step plan, I think, that can help us, perhaps even guarantee us that when we can, when we have problems, we can overcome a problem with any person. Number one is love them like Jesus loved them. Secondly, forgive them of anything and everything. And thirdly, pray for them every day. You know, it's impossible to carry a prayer for someone in your heart and hate them or have something against them at the same time. You know, if we will love them like Jesus loved them and will forgive them, even as God, for uh, Christ's sake, hath forgiven us, as it says in Ephesians 4.32. And if we pray for them every day, Pray without ceasing, the Bible tells us. Well, we should pray for others, and especially those that we might have a problem with. Love them, forgive them, and pray for them. Moses faced a people problem. Secondly, Moses faced a provision problem. We talked about this in our last uh, message here, about the manna from heaven. In verses 4 through 9, these verses remind us that Moses was leading 2 million people through the wilderness and that they had nothing to eat but manna. And of course, they did not like the manna and they complained bitterly about it. They tried everything they could to make the manna taste like the food of Egypt, but it never worked and they griped and they whined and they complained about it every day. Remember when your kids didn't want to eat something and all the faces they made? Maybe some pretty uh, terrible faces at something they didn't like. Maybe it wasn't uh, uh, wasn't a food that they particularly liked. But imagine two two million people making a face every day when they woke up to manna again and again and again. So sometimes we face provisional problems. 
Now, in our situation, it may be some unexpected tra- uh, tragedy that befalls us, may even uh, require that take some of our, our finances, our savings. It may be medical bills or job cutbacks. Maybe that there is just more month than there is money. But either way, I will remind you that something that we can often forget, Moses forgot it too. God did not call Moses to feed the children of Israel. He called Moses to lead the children of Israel. And it's God's responsibility to feed his children. So if you're faced with a provisional problem today, let me remind you that if you are God's child and he's directing your life, then your provisional problems are his problems to solve, not your own. I remind you that there is a name for God in the Bible that says Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. I remind you that when he does the leading, he also does the feeding. It may not be what you want all the time, but you'll get through the wilderness just like the manna got the uh, children of Israel through the wilderness. They may not have always liked what the Lord gave them, but I have never read anywhere that they starved to death. Then thirdly, we notice here that Moses faced a personal problem. And it was because of the weight of the load he was bearing, Moses himself became utterly discouraged. I could say he allowed himself to become discouraged. In verse 10, it says, Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. And then it says, Moses also was displeased. The word displeased there means broken to pieces to be utterly destroyed. You could say Moses had a breakdown. It's thought that Moses suffered from depression, especially if you look at what he said in verse 14 and 15. Just uh, We'll get there again, but notice in verse 14 he says, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of, the, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Depression is no respecter of person. Some of the hit of history's greatest Christians and leaders were afflicted. Satan's goal is to get people, and especially God's people, discouraged and depressed. And so he can whisper to the heart of a lost sinner and say, "There, there's a Christian. Do you want to be like him? And Satan will do that. Satan works on all of us to get us down in the dumps. By the way, you're not alone if you feel that way. Charles Spurgeon, often called the Prince of Preachers, said, There are dungeons beneath the castles of despair. Charles Spurgeon suffered black periods of anguish, depression. His church family at Metropolitan Tabernacle was once amazed to hear him begin a sermon from Isaiah 41 and verse 14 with the words of introduction. He said, I have to speak today to myself, and whilst I uh, shall be endeavoring to encourage those of uh, the, who are distressed and downhearted, I shall be preaching, I trust to myself, for I need something which shall cheer my heart. 
why I cannot tell, wherefore I do not know, but I have a thorn in the flesh, (coughs) a messenger of Satan to buffet me. My soul is cast down within me. I feel as as if I'd rather die than live. All that God hath done by me seems to be forgotten, and my spirit flags and my courage breaks down. I need your prayers. It was Adoniram Judson, the first foreign missionary from America that suffered deep depression after the death of his wife, Nancy. He said, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. And with the last of her savings drawn out of her small bank account, Lottie Moon, the Baptist missionary to China, lapsed into a period of deep depression. She quit eating. Her mental and physical health declined. A doctor was sent for, and only then was uh, it discovered that she was starving to death. And in hopes of saving her life, her colleague made arrangements for her to return home in the company of a nurse, but it was too late. She died aboard ship on Christmas Eve, 1912, while at uh, the port in Kobe, Japan. You know, we need to remember to pray for our missionaries. You think our missionaries have it easy? No. They would certainly get discouraged in their work. And perhaps we don't uh, pray specifically enough. There are letters back there on the back wall that need to be read. And they're there for us to know how to pray for our missionaries. Some of them are uh, giving us some good reports. But even though they give good reports, I'm sure there are times of discouragement. Let's pray for them. Others were gripped by depression. William Cooper, the author of the song, There is a Fount Filled with Blood, suffered from Severe depression all of his life. In fact, he spent 18 months of it in a, in a, sane, a sane asylum, tried several times to take his own life. Abe Lincoln was another suffered from depression all of his life. He wrote, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful fact on earth. Whether I shall ever be any better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode or for predict that I shall, I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it seems to me. Winston Churchill, I don't know that he was ever a saved man, but he suffered. He was a great leader. He suffered from about bouts of depression. Depression and despair afflicted the strongest of Christians and even others who were in leadership. And we need the Lord. We need God's strength to deal with the issues of life. It happened to Moses. Uh, It happened uh, to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. It happened to Jonah in Jonah 4. It can happen to you or me this morning. If we're not careful, the problems we face in life can produce this kind of an attitude in our hearts. Now, what, what was the problem here? Well, Moses had allowed the problems he faced to become larger than the God he served. 
And any time that we allow that to happen in our lives, we're in the danger of having this kind of a, a breakdown in our lives. We need to come to the place where we remember that every problem we face has the potential to be greater than our ability to handle the problem. And since that is true, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord as we face our problems. We must remember that he, not us, is the one who fights the battle of life. He fights, and we just get to enjoy the victory. Secondly, we notice here the prayer Moses prayed. In verses 11 through 15, Moses begins to talk to God about his problem. He talks to God in such a way that reveals the condition of his heart. Kind of takes the tone with God that he's angry. It even might be a somewhat irreverent tone. And so he kind of shows us how not to pray in a time of crisis. You know, you can learn some lessons sometimes on how not to do something. But here, notice that Moses prayed a prayer of confusion. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 and 12. It says, And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them, that thou shouldst say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth a sucking child, unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? Moses is asking God, why? He seems to be saying to the Lord, hey, these are your people. I didn't give birth to them. They're your problem. They're not my problem. Why then am I having to bear them and their burdens? Moses couldn't grasp the why of the situation. Moses failed to remember that the details were God's responsibility, not his God had called Moses to lead the people, not to feed them. You know, we have problems in this area as well. I hear people pray sometimes and ask God, why me? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Maybe they even come to me sometime and say, preacher, why is this happening to me? I've heard had people say that. And there's no real good answer to our why questions. And yet, I would propose that we need to adopt a different mindset concerning the troubles we face. I would suggest, instead of asking why, we need to learn to ask two different questions. The first one is, why not me? Why not me? Jesus said we could expect to find uh, to have trouble in this life. John 16:33 These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye shall have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It was Job that said we could expect trouble in this life. Job 14 and verse 1 he said man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Why then should we expect to live lives free of troubles and trials? And so when trouble comes to you, don't ask why. Instead, learn to give thanks in the midst of trouble 
As it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, even the trial, even the difficulty, even the trouble. Why not me? The second question is, what? When the Lord sends trouble into your life, remember it must be a part of his plan. Romans 8.28 He's merely growing you and showing you a new and more marvelous side of himself. His purpose in the valleys is to send us, uh, sends us, that he sends us through is to change us so that we become like him. Someone said, affliction is the furnace in which God tries his gold. And so let us ask God, Lord, what is the lesson that I, you've sent uh, for me to learn? What new view of you and, uh, am I going to have from this vantage point? The question what will produce far more favorable answers than the question why. Moses prayed a prayer of confusion. Secondly, Moses prayed a prayer of confession. We look down in verse 12. And uh, in verse 12, the second part, he says, uh, Carry them in thy bosom as the nursing father beareth the sucking child unto the land, where thou swearest unto their fathers, Whence shall I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. Moses comes to the place where, uh, to which we all need to come. He came to the place where he saw and he felt and he confessed his weaknesses. He knew that he was insufficient to the task at hand. And he described himself as a father attempting to nurse a child. He had no ability to provide anything for these two million people. This must have been how Paul felt when he felt the pain of the thorn in the flesh. And yet he received God's great promise of grace. And Paul was able to rejoice in his difficulty. He knew that his weakness merely opened the door for God's power to walk in. You know, it's difficult to come to a place of total weakness and total dependence before the Lord. But until we do, we will never know him and his power in our problems. Listen, the sooner we come to the place where we know for sure that we can't, that is sooner we will arrive at the place where we know that he can. I'm very aware of the fact that I don't possess the ability in myself to do the things that God has called me to do. If the messages I prepare and I preach, and if there are souls that are saved, if there are sick who are comfort, if there are needs of people's heart that are met, then it's going to be the Lord that must do it. I and myself cannot do that. I'm like Moses. Though sometimes I can become overwhelmed with the burdens of life and ministry. But I serve God who is ever able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And so if I finish my course, it will not be through my own strength. I will do it only through his and his alone. And then Moses prayed a prayer of capitulation. Capitulation, verse 15. 
And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. In this verse, Moses giving God an ultimatum, so to speak, he says, either get me out of this mess or kill me. Moses also confesses the fact he can't bear the thought of facing total failure of his hopes and his plans and his dreams. And he's come to the place where he's ready to offer up his resignation. He's ready to quit. I wonder how many of us have walked in these shoes. Problems of life have become so overwhelming and the burden so great that we began to ask to be delivered from them, even by death. Can I suggest to you that it's not a good idea to give God ultimatums? I think it's all right to reach the end of your rope, but it's never all right just to quit on God because God's not going to quit on you. Listen, there is no place to get off. Many are trying, but God is not pleased. Make up your minds that you will remain faithful regardless of what other others might be doing. And as we close, I would want to remind you again of verse 12 where Moses disputes with the Lord about his responsibilities. He's saying, these are not my kids, Lord. How can I provide for them all? They will want a barbecue. How can I meet their needs? I think at this point, Moses loses sight of God's power. His memory of God's care has begun to fade. Sometimes we have a tendency to do the same thing. We need, and we forget about God and what he's done. We need to think about this area of remembering. As I close our message today, I want us to uh, think about remembering and how the Bible challenges us to remember what the Lord has done. Notice, first of all, when to remember. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days are not are come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Notice, secondly, the works to remember. Psalm 77, verse 9 through 11 says, Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Zelah. And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. And then thirdly, remember the words, the words to remember. Acts 20 and verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus and how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And where we came from should be remembered. Revelation 2, 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works and or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick out of this place except thou repent. So there are some things we need to remember when we get down, when we get discouraged, when we become despaired. We need to remember God and his work, God and his words. We need to remember where we were when we got saved. If you're here this morning without a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
The first step in dealing with discouragement and depression, despair, is not to go to some psychologist, not to pop a pill, but it's to trust Christ as your Savior. He loves you. He died for you. He'll save you if you come to him. And Christians, we know that being saved does not eliminate all of our trials and our difficulties. We can be discouraged, we can be depressed, we can be in despair, but we should realize that we have the Holy Spirit living within us. He can guide us to all truth, and he will be our comforter as Jesus promised. And so we need to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, to control our lives, to not allow the trials of life to get us down. The battle is the Lord's, and we can have victory in his strength. Let's pray. Father in heaven, 